0: Good afternoon and welcome back to the EJS show on the Liberty Block with Ed, Jody, and Steve, once again joined by Mike. This show is being recorded live and will be available within a few hours as a podcast, which can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Rumble by searching for the Liberty Block. We invite anyone listening live to this podcast to join us on Zoom or by phone. The links are up on Facebook and Mii and share your thoughts on the issues that we discuss. I'm not wishing anybody a good afternoon today. Everybody obviously has heard the very sad news that uh, the absolute number one in the talk business, Rush Limbaugh has passed away today as a result of his lung cancer. Um, All of us talkers and would-be talkers, we probably owe the entire genre to him, I think I won't say I owe all of my views to him, but I will say that he's taught me tons. I was trying to figure out if I started listening to him in 1989 or 1990, but I go back that far. I remember somebody sitting next to me and saying, you got to hear this new guy out there. He says what we believe. And I listened to him for 20 years religiously. I remember going out. Um, You guys are old enough to remember when it wasn't easy to tape, talk radio. There was no such thing as a podcast. There weren't any replays that you could download. And I found a gadget for more money than I want to admit that would actually tape digitally a talk radio show. And I probably listened to everyone. I had Limbaugh letter for many, many, many years. So Rush taught me a couple of things. The first one I know for sure was his. He said, what you need for success when people would call him up, he would say content, content and content. And I believe that he was also responsible for teaching me the second thing, teaching me, teaching everybody, that the one thing you absolutely never want to have on talk radio is silence. So to honor Rush, I'm going to ask you for a few seconds of silence in his memory. And then I'm gonna pass it on to y'all. Any comments about Russia's passing? And of course, you can't talk about that without discussing how the left is piling on with its usual unbelievable dose of vicious hate. Who'd like to start? Raise your hand. I'll go. Go, Mike.
1: So, um, you know, I, I started uh, having some thoughts today after I first posted about his passing on, on Facebook. and. Um, you know, I think the first time I ever really heard Rush, and I, I didn't realize I was hearing Rush at the time, my father used to go to bed back in the late 80s with the radio on. And I, I think he uh, he used to listen to Rush when he was starting out, and he was actually on late at night. But uh, I have my own personal experiences with Rush. I just I read touch points in my life where where I had interactions. One, I actually did go on his radio show. I appeared on the radio show one time as a get, as a caller. Um, so I, it was probably back in the 90s, and uh, I turned into a big fan then. And, and the reason I really became a fan is during the 1992 election, um, in that primary season, I was actually challenging my own political beliefs. And I was watching all the Democrats during the the primary. They were on Donahue and all this stuff, and I was in grad school at the time, and I uh, – I managed to get myself an internship at CNBC and I worked for John McLaughlin, if you remember.
2: Oh, I loved him.
1: Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> the early days of CNBC. So it was business in the day, talk at night. And uh, I started my internship there in, the sep- in September of 92. So um, I, my, my eyes were, were opened up quite a bit when I was there because the liberalism was rabid and rampant you know, when Bill Clinton ended up getting elected, the whole building roared in applause. And uh, all the, all the uh, producers of the show were leftists. Uh, they weren't nice people. One, the one producer basically told me to my face, uh, you know, I'm upset, you're upset that you were hired because you're a white guy, they always hire white guys. And so uh, it turns out that Rush was on the McLaughlin show about a week before I started there and they were trashing him, mocking him, predicting failure for his TV show. And that's when I turned into his tuned into his TV show and kind of the rest of it was history. It obviously became a real success. And, uh, you know, he was convincing to me. I started listening to the radio show and it was really a turning point for me in my life. So again, I did, I was lucky enough to be on the, on the radio show. Once I was there at one of the tapings of his TV show in New York city one time. And, uh, the biggest thing that happened to me was when I started blogging about uh, 2009. And uh, I, if you remember at that time, Rush was under fire for saying he wished Obama would fail. And he was saying if, if Obama, basically he was saying if Obama is going to push so- socialism, I want him to fail. <laughs> and so he was taking all kinds of heat. So I was an intrepid little blogger and I started typical like get the image of the blogger in his basement in his pajamas. I started started looking around for information on when the Democrats might have said something similar about Bush or whatever. I came across a Fox News poll, and it basically said 50% of Democrats wanted Bush not to succeed. So I blogged about it. Nothing happened at first. A few days later, Gateway Pundit uh, linked to it. And literally about a week later, all of a sudden I'm getting you know, all this uh, attention to my blog, I'm getting all this traffic on my blog. I'm like, what the hell is going on? It just so happened I, I turned on Rush and he mentioned my blog on the radio. That and, is so uh, cool. Yeah, so he mentioned it and then Hannity picked up on it and then it was on special report at six o'clock. <laughs> it, w- it was pretty funny, but you know, again, if it weren't for Rush Limbaugh and his, uh, his platform, What I did would have been meaningless. And, uh, you know, just again, real quick in historic terms, you know, we can't understate that he's been the most powerful voice for conservatism for 30 years. Um, We would never have won the house in 1994, the way we did upending the speaker of the house, winning the house for the first time in half a century. That just doesn't happen with with without rush.
0: I just wanna say one more thing before I move on to Ed and Jody. After Rush, I listened to, you know, everybody else, uh, the Hannity's and Mark Levin, et cetera, et cetera. I consistently found Rush Limbaugh to be the nicest of all the hosts. I cannot remember him once screaming or talking down to a caller. If he did, I must have missed it. And he got the reputation as this hater. And I thought he was the kindest nicest one of all the talk radio people. So that's just harmless, lovable. lovable And you know what hit me today when and I happened to have come from another funeral, but I was still sad about Rush and Rush's tagline was talent on loan from God. And I was Mm -hmm. thinking, well, God took it back today. So go ahead, Jody.
2: No, Ed, you go first. I know you go, Ed.
3: Well, I think that's a that was a good segue, Steve, you know, talent on loan from God and God called in the loan today. Uh, I'm, I'm not a God fearing person, but uh, that's exactly how I felt. It's, it's a big void for me. I never met the man. I was never on his show. Uh, and despite being on the same side of the political as he was, I had many differences of opinion with him. Um, I still remember thinking that he Turned his back on conservatives when he turned his back on Ted Cruz in 2016. Um, I turned his show off for, for, I was going to say for a short while, but it was probably a good year or two that I just didn't listen to him. Um, It took as long as it took for me to be won over to Trump to really go back to him. Um, But I think it's just weird. He was sort of a guardian angel. I mean, I don't, you know, again, I don't, I'm not a religious person. I don't believe in all that mysticism, but no matter what the disagreement was, and maybe this gets into what Steve was also saying about him being a really kind person. uh, But I think it also gets to him just being right about so many things. He, even when I disagreed with him, I still, I guess with the possible exception of, of Trump over Hillary in 2016, um, I always thought, even when I disagreed with him, that he had my best interest at heart, and and I guess even looking back, I think even then I thought he did, um, in, in a way that that nobody ever really has. I mean, you know, I he was he was he was a guardian angel for for all of us on the right. He always had our best interest at heart, and he always had a a strategy to win. Uh, He was always positive and upbeat. He believed in this country. He believed in in our fight. Uh, He was never despondent. He was never pessimistic, whether it was about his own personal health and personal diagnosis, or about Obama's victory, or about Biden's victory. Um, Nothing faced him. He was always there. And you know, I I feel presumptuous saying that I feel like I've lost a family member, you know, family member, because like I said, I never met the man. I never, you know, it's not like he's on my speed dial or anything, but I I really feel like I've lost someone who, you know, he wasn't my, he wasn't my dad, you know, and, you know, I don't have a great relationship with my dad, but, you know, he was, you know, Rush was like a, a father that I never knew, you know, he was always looking out for me. He was always you know, a shining light, always giving me great advice. Um, Even when I disagree with it, I still think it was from the heart and it was from the, both from the heart and from the brain. I mean, he was a smart, brilliant man. Um, And he gave so much to this country. He, you know, Mike said that he's, you know, one of the largest figures of the last 50 years. I mean, no question. I mean, I don't know how, you know, if it's top 10 or top 100 or whatever, but he's certainly... You know, he was he was a great man and he changed the course of history. He, you know, he, part
0: of his genius was his connection to his listeners. And he would talk about that a lot when he got in trouble at various times. And then when he had his hearing issues, he, always, he would always talk about how much he valued that connection. And I think peer, people really felt that. Another thing that always impressed me about Rush, and I don't think I'm naive, was he did his two fundraisers. He did for, I think the Marine Corps law enforcement it's called, and he did for leukemia and blood cancers and stuff. And he would very humbly pledge a couple million dollars at a pop. And maybe I'm a sucker, but it really touched me. He wasn't a lot of fanfare, but I think he helped tremendous amount of people quietly. So Jody.
2: Yeah, um, I'm once again, probably a little bit the odd woman out here because I really didn't know anything about him. Um, I can tell you, um, I think he's a good example of the fact that the left is so effective at um, avoiding the the content of what people are discussing and what they're trying to discuss and what they're bringing up and instead mischaracterizing them. and they seem to have no uh, remorse over just totally mischaracterizing people. And I would say I probably bought into that too, too much. Um, and then when I did come over to the right side, um, I just, I never, I kind of was finding my own way and I just never tuned into his show except one time a couple months ago at the behest of a friend, but I'm sad to say, I I know very little about him. Um, uh, I one per, I, it, maybe it was on Fox news where they were talking about how, and this, cause I, this is how I've always been. This is, this is a big part of what my shift was. He said, you always have to be truthful. So be truthful, you know, in his reporting he was talking about the value of being truthful. It was to Harris Faulkner. I guess he told her that, you know, just make sure you're always being truthful. And I really, um, I appreciate that. And, you know, I have a feeling things that I've heard probably came from him and I didn't even realize it. But like I said, sadly, um, you know, the left will probably continue to mischaracterize him. Like I think that they already have, and that's really sad.
0: Jody, I actually think you made one of the best points. Um, (laughs) Not even on purpose. Rush Rush was canceled before cancel culture. He was Palinized before Palinization. And you're Mm -hmm. right. They succeeded in besmirching his name so badly. And I remember he used to tell callers, just listen for six weeks. Give me six weeks. And he would always say the people who quote me have never listened to the show and they could take him out of context, which is why when we're going to read all these negative eulogies that they write about him, did any of them ever listen to this man so i think you're bringing up a fantastic point point. and in that sense he had his 15 20 million listeners whatever it was which is a staggering amount how many people would have listened had they not canceled yeah. so i think you're yeah. making a fantastic point so
2: you know and it is it's the mischaracterization is really effective when you have a society of people unwilling to think or to think beyond that mischaracterization, it's very strong and pervasive, especially when you've kind of taught people, don't question what we say about this horrible person or you're a horrible person. It's really tragic.
3: You know what? I I wanna jump in for a second. When I first was introduced to Rush, it was while I was in law school in the early nineties. And he he had just started his television show and I had a brief period in my life during law school when I was on the other side of the aisle, I was sort of a Bill Clinton Democrat type. And, but I was, I always retained the honesty that I have today. Um, I never forgot the things that made me very conservative all through high school and, and the first part of college. Um, and I was friends with the guy who ran the Federalist Society at my law school. And he, you know, he and I used to sit in the dorm and he would, he would invite me to, to watch the guy and I would watch Rush Limbaugh's program with this guy, his name was Brian, and we watched it every night and I could never find anything wrong with it. I always agreed with what he was saying. I thought he it was, it was right on the, on the mark. And um, you know, he helped bring me back to, to the right side of the aisle. And um, I, think, I think that the problem you're pointing to, Jody, is that America, a lot of American people have lost virtue And, you know, when we get into our, our discussions about current events, I think that's an important thing to always keep in mind without a virtuous people, there's no political system that's going to save them. And, you know, I, when I look back at my own history, it was my own honesty that saved me because I listened to what Rush was saying. He certainly wasn't the only voice that I heard, although he was probably the only radio and TV voice. Um, but he, um, you know my honesty helped save me and and you know if you were willing to listen to him you know steve said correctly that you know rush would say give me six weeks and and see what you think and and i did and i gave him time and you know the more i listened the more i agreed and um you know steve if if people were were honest and willing you know willing to face the facts of reality for what they are i think i think that he would have had a, a much an even bigger audience
1: Yeah, it came to mind that, um, you know, here we are experiencing cancel culture everywhere. Uh, You know, they tried to do that to Rush too. There was talk of the Fairness Doctrine and getting him off the air. Again, I don't know if I mentioned this before, he used to say, I am equal time. He had no, (laughs) Mm -hmm. he was the only one out there. And so, um, you know, it's just remarkable that he was able to withstand all that. And, um, you know, just the other thing in my opinion is, He's just such a special talent. Again, we talked about some of the other talk radio hosts out there. Mark Levin, a lot of red meat. And he, I think, gets a little monotonous. But Rush was lovable. He was likable. I mean, you know, you don't keep an audience for thirty years. You don't stay at the top by peddling hate like the left wants to talk about. You don't have you don't have tens of millions of listeners because they want to hear hate. They they, they loved him, and he was a happy warrior, and he was always optimistic. But he was a, Remarkable, remarkable talent. And we only have so many of those people during our lifetimes. And when we lose them, it's deeply and profoundly sad.
0: No, he had a great sense of humor. You're taking me back to when Bill Clinton famously said, like, how can I fight against all these people? They have all the airwaves. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that clip. And Russia's like, this is just little old me. I'm I'm equal time. And the president of the United States is saying. Rush Limbaugh's got 3 hours and I only get a few minutes here and there. It was it was amazing. So, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, we have a lot of
0: topics. If you're ready to move on, not move because I was also doing Rush's tenure. Um, I want to go really really briefly over some of the things we can and we can talk about. Obviously, there's the uh, Trump speech about McConnell the other day which just accentuates <laughs> the unbelievable tear in the party. We've talked a drop about the third party possibilities, but this rift in the party is quite real. Think I personally love what Trump said. I wish people would say that kind of stuff every day. We got the blackouts in Texas, which is probably gonna knock out most of our audience today. They'll have to uh, download it later on as a podcast and the fight over whether this is the wind energy that is failing, or the left wants to say, no, the wind is perfect It's everything else that's been failing. And this is further proof that um, we need more of the renewable energy. I think you guys probably saw the article, you may have sent it to me from Lauren Boebert, it takes a special kind of stupidity to run out of energy in Texas. And I have to say, I have friends in Texas, and I believe Texas nationalist movement is phenomenal. We interviewed Daniel Miller from there. But this is an unbelievable shame on Texas that they could have allowed this to happen. We have the uh, COVID, the, nor- the goings on of COVID, not even getting into Kamala saying we started, we're starting from scratch and Biden, I think saying we had no vaccine. This double masking is picking up. It's going on in federal buildings. I've actually seen some people double masking. Apparently Biden has says that within a year, significantly, significantly fewer people will have to social distance and wear a mask. So we should celebrate that's the bright spot within a year. Um, Ed, I know you had shared the subject we may touch on. Uh, the Democrats turning against Andrew Cuomo. Is that gonna be for real? I, is Cuomo on CNN ever gonna cover it? I can't imagine. And the Newsom recall effort. And um, the Demo- locals turning against Whitmer in Michigan. We have somebody here partially lives in Michigan. Of course, we got Joe Biden and gun control, which is going to to be coming down the pike at some some point soon. The National Guard staying forever in Washington, or are they leaving in the fall, or are they leaving soon? Uh, Biden threatening internal travel restrictions. I know he got into a tiff with Ron DeSantis when he said he's going to stop travel. Also, that beautiful issue of You shouldn't be able to move within the borders without a COVID vaccination, but if you go to Mexico and cross the Rio Grande, it's quite okay. So those are some of the topics that we can touch on. I'll let you all pick which one's are your favorite. Ed?
3: Wow, you just gave so many. I mean, I think think the biggest one that you mentioned is the permanent stationing of troops in D.C., the built fences and barbed wire in D.C., by people that have insisted for the last four years that fences don't work. And I think it reveals what a lie the last four years were. And I think it portends some really ominous things about what they're, what they're planning right now. We just spent you know two weeks with a, with an, a sham impeachment trial um, over a fake insurrection, over incitement that didn't happen Um, why do they need troops? Why do they need to have barbed wire fences protecting them in DC? Um, you know, when you look, when I look at what the, the way the house managers prosecuted that trial, I'm the, I'm the lawyer of the group here. And I can tell you that it was absolutely disgraceful in terms of, of the way they introduced evidence. If they tried to produce that kind of evidence in a courtroom, where they were doctoring evidence and splicing evidence, um, not only would it would it have not been admitted by any competent judge, but any competent judge would have referred any of them as lawyers to to the bar association for disbarment. And when I look at what's going on there, uh, you know, the real insurrectionists are, are the Democrats. The real insurrection was was the way the House tried to impeach. Well, did impeach President Trump and tried to convict him, and you know that's the story that really concerns me the most out of all of them. I mean, you, you've got a whole list of great stories that we can all talk about, um, but uh, of that long list, I think that's the one that we really need to you know keep our eyes on because when you lose your liberty, it's hard to get it back, and and we're sort of dangling right now. You know, we have half liberty, half not liberty, and you know they're threatening to take it all away.
0: You know, I just want to mention, I forgot from the headlines that the price of chocolate just went down from 20 cents to 15 cents. And you're all wondering, wasn't it 10 cents yesterday? Um, their ability to get away with that kind of a thing that we hate the military, that Trump can't send the military to Seattle or to Minneapolis, and all of a sudden we're sending the military, and we never didn't like the military. And I wrote down on the notes today for today's show all of this talk about the Democrats wanting to compel the whole world to get vaccinated, these people were jumping up and down several months ago saying, we will never trust Trump's vaccine. Am I crazy? or Weren't they saying that? No longer Trump's, Trump's vaccine. And, and literally on a dime. Yeah. They're forcing us all to take Trump's vaccine and they get away with it. So I think that part, what you're saying, Ed, because obviously this National Guard story has a whole bunch of Sides to it, and you just brought up that one among others.
3: I think also, you know, you 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 slipped in that joke about chocolate and going from twenty cents to fifteen cents or whatever. Food prices are going up. You know, Mm -hmm. I didn't I didn't share stories with you before before we went to record today, but food prices are going up, and what's going on in Texas and around the country is impacting food prices, and um, I think a cold, hungry population. Uh, is, is dangerous. I, I, you know, not dangerous in the sense that I'm scared of them, but, you know, we have sparks all over this country right now, metaphorically, and who knows when, when a spark is going to get lit. I don't know, but uh, that was something that I thought of while you were, while you were talking about chocolate, the price of chocolate there.
2: Well, you know, I think them keeping all these troops there, does it kind of sort of feed into their, you know, functioning, from a place of outrage and fear. I mean, that's really the crux of their political strategy. They've been leading by emotion and it's usually anger and angst. And so why stop now? It seems to be working so well. And that visual of look at how, you know, fearful we should be. All of us, we almost got killed. That whole fearful thing, that presence of those Um, troops helps them give that, you know, support that narrative.
3: Well, I think Trump's letter to or about McConnell really ties into this as well, because we desperately, desperately need an opposition party right now. Um, And if nothing else, Trump was saying the same thing. He was saying the Republicans need to be in opposition and McConnell is not in opposition. Um, If we don't have an opposition we may never have a chance to have an opposition in the future. So um, I think it's really important over the next year to one to three years to to have an opposition, to, to have somebody, to have leaders, not just one person, but, you know, the Republican Party as a whole coalesce around the idea that the troops need to go home, businesses need to open, schools need to open, churches need to open. I mean, there's a whole platform that's just waiting for the Republican Party to pick up. And You know, it's an open question whether they're going to pick it up or whether they're just going to go along to get along. And, you know, that's that's the real big story that we've got in front of us right now.
2: So, I mean, I know this has always been my position and I keep it doesn't I think I'm concerned, I guess, because what I see is it doesn't really matter what opposition party we have, whether somehow suddenly the Republicans evolve into this you know, um, good opposition party, which we probably doubt that's gonna happen, or somebody new comes along, you still have that monumental barrier to convincing the people that it's a good party or to vote for them. Just like what I was just highlighting about Rush Limbaugh. You could have the nicest person with great content, great character, and they will not let who you are or even the content of your discussion to be allowed to infiltrate into the minds of the American people. And I really strongly believe that's why we keep losing is because we can't actually get access and our access is continuing to be worse. And I wanted to just say on that note, something in um, Donald Trump's letter, he used some words and you know, reality is words, really matter. Words really, really matter. And um, one of the things that Donald Trump said that I loved and I wish, just like the left does, they take this little phrase or something and they make it go viral. It's like everyone was trained, say this 500 times today, say it 500 times today. It's how they make a lie feel true, right? They've trained each other to repeat something 500 times every day. And it could be a bald-faced lie, and it almost always is, but but it works. Their strategy works. And so we have truth on our side, and we can't mobilize truth in the same way. And this is where I'm saying we need to start doing that. And some words that Trump used, I love. He's um, He said, um, he called McConnell's beltway first in comparison to uh, America first, and uh, Biden's america last beltway first i love it because it puts the it puts the opposition uh on defense it's an offensive without without you know going into later in his later in his letter he did name calling which to me is i hate it i just it's pointless i feel like it's not politically advantageous especially for our side The left can name call because they spent decades doing the work of capturing the hearts and minds of people. So they can literally kill people and still be praised. Our side has to be a little more careful with that. Plus, I don't like it personally, but you can use powerful, powerful words of attack against them, you know, without getting into the personal character smears. And I wish that our side would do a heck of a lot more than that. And I love that beltway first. And America last.
3: I think the division of labor, though. I mean, I think if Trump wants to run for president again, I agree with you that he's got to stop the name calling. But well, I'm, he... I mean, our side in general. Well, and I'm ta- on our side. I think, I think that you know, it's sort of like the, how the vice presidential nominee is often selected on the basis of how good of an attack dog he can be or she can be, and I think that our side definitely needs attack dogs because. We don't attack, I mean, talk radio, Rush Limbaugh was our attack dog for a long time. Mark, Le- Mark Levin is, a, is an attack dog for us. Um, we, we But need they end the- up
2: in their own echo chambers. They don't end up getting heard by people enough to expand our tent. They get mischaracterized and it works is what I'm Rush, saying. The reality is it's it works. I'm not saying it's morally right, but it Rush, works. And they Rush usually is- use lies.
3: Rush had twenty million viewers, listeners. Um, I'm not saying that every, I mean, Ted Cruz can't get away with it. I mean, I'm not saying that he shouldn't try necessarily, but you know, Ted Cruz is just a gentleman, and he's just not gonna, he's not gonna be able to do the kind of uh, foxhole fighting that Trump does. Um, and you know, Trump lost re-election at least in part because of that. There were some people. I mean, we all on this program think that he was that the election was stolen, that there were or at least, I don't want to say stolen, but that there was substantial election fraud in some important places. Um, but at least for me, I have to acknowledge that there were people in the suburbs who wouldn't vote for him because of his tweets. And which which speaks to your point, Jody. So as the president, yes, he probably should be more presidential, but if he's not going to run again, if he's just going to be on the sideline and he's going to pick and choose candidates, we need some bomb throwers. We need a lot of bomb throwers, and we need we need to
2: we need. See, I just I disagree because I think once we we start throwing those verbal bombs, we've so if you're in the center and um, you hear somebody say something like, I, I wish I had the words in front of me, but just something unkind about someone, and then the media and the education system, people you trust, I don't trust them now, but if I did, when I was in the middle, uh-huh. I trusted Diane Sawyer, I trusted George Stephanopoulos, I trusted Chris Matthews. So when they would play the video of those words, you know, if you play a video of those words of that person saying, whatever narrative that person that I trusted on TV said to me would resonate. Now that person didn't really say that. If I saw them not being mean, then at least I have the opportunity to say, "Well, gee, that wasn't mean. That was they didn't say what what they said. They didn't say that would have at least started to help open, uh, you know, the intellectual door open a little bit to question. Maybe you're mischaracterizing them. But every opportunity that we get." or that we give them as an opportunity to uh, make us look where we are because we said something um, unkind, I think is detrimental to our side extremely. The way we, are, we are held to a different standard than the left.
3: The way you describe the center, I would, I would say you've described them as leftists without courage, leftists without the courage to call themselves leftists. If you're going to George Stephanopoulos, Diane Sawyer, um, I forget who the third one was that you mentioned. Um, Chris Matthews. Chris Chris Matthews.
2: These were, you know, in the late 90s,
3: Okay, mid right. late
2: 90s, very common main I, I, ABC that's, World that's, News type people, Sunday
3: and if news. You're a centrist, these were
2: if very mainstream people.
3: Well, if you're a self-professed centrist and that's where you're getting your news and opinions from, you're a leftist. A lot are. You just don't want to admit it. That's that's the issue. So I don't think that we should be spending a lot of time working on leftists. I think that we should be spending more time solidifying the people on the right.
2: I think you should talk to more people who are in that place. I know so many of them, and that's exactly how they function. They watch, you know, ABC World News Tonight, David Muir. He's no different than Diane Sawyer and George Stephanopoulos.
3: Mm -hmm. So
2: they don't look at these people with... They don't they're not looking at it going, "Oh, I'm a leftist. I'm going to listen to this guy." They're working their job, they're coming home, they're feeding their kids, they're busy. They're capturing bits and pieces of information and they're not willing to look at David Muir and say, "Oh, he's a raging leftist. He's probably not giving me the information I need." They just think they they just think they're getting the news.
3: Like I and said, so, I that makes them leftists without courage. That's what I think. Well,
2: then okay, so then you're willing to write off all these people again. We have a job of growing a tent here. You have to grow the tent, and that means you have to understand what what is speaking to the choir and what is growing the tent.
1: Well,
3: let you can't ask,
2: grow the tent when you continue to speak to the choir. Does
3: the does it help the tent to invite people like Mitch McConnell in? Does it help the tent to invite people like Liz Cheney in? Do you? Want I don't to know.
2: Them? Those aren't the people I'm talking about. The, the average. The, the the huge lot of average people who are really just going about their business and capturing small bits and pieces of information and they're susceptible, not because they're stupid, not because they're, you know, they're just busy and they're picking up and capturing little pieces of information. And all I'm saying is I we don't help ourselves in the whole uh, area of getting mischaracterized when we jump on the, you know, negative name calling, personal attacks. I think that was a huge thing for Trump. And it's not just because of the president, I think it's because that's how so many in the center, soft left and soft right kind of, they just, that's how they function. They don't want it.
3: If you're Uh, talking about people who absorb their news and, and cultural opinions unconsciously and through some osmosis type process i would say the more outrageous we can be to them the more likely it is that they actually look up what we really said i don't think i think
2: i think that's exactly the opposite i think it's more likely that once once they get mischaracterized in the minds of these people it's no longer worth their time these aren't the, people who cars are, cars are going to be like those. i
3: you're don't you're think articulating- these people- you're articulating the McCain strategy and the McCain strategy doesn't work, in my opinion.
2: Well, I'm, artic- I'm articulating the leftist strategy. Look at where it's brought them. It's been brilliant. They invested decades into it. And I think for a valid reason, like I said, they have spent so much time and they've been so effective in truly manipulating the minds of people through education, through media, through TV shows. They've done it so effectively that really people can just sort of absorb things and they there there's like a instant um you know well these people you know they care about poor people well so they wouldn't lie to me so i'm sure that person especially because i saw him i saw him say those words and you know
1: jody says
2: it with his tone
1: I, i hear what you're saying jody i mean i was a communications director (laughs) <laughs> so I've, I've been there, I worked for a conservative nonprofit, and we talked about how do you get 50, 50 plus one, right? That's all we all we need. But then again, I'm, I'm torn because do we want the Frank Luntz approach, the focus group, poll-tested approach, or do we want the Trump approach that actually won in 2016? Uh, you know what I mean? Like, he did win. Trump
2: approach <laughs> won in 2016, probably not for that reason, because... It, it it did turn out well this time.
1: You know, I, I, I I'm I'm sympathetic to what you're saying, and I'm not saying you're all wrong by any stretch at all. I, I think words matter. I think how we present things matter. I think the left is very good at storytelling, and the right is horrible at storytelling. We get totally. up, and the minimum wage is gonna cost jobs and but no 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 no. Talk to the business owner, let them tell their story about how this is affecting their life. The business that, that they started from scratch when they had nothing.
3: Like Herman Cain, right? right.
1: Yeah, remember, I mean, you, you, remember Herman Cain with Hillary Care? Yeah, I mean, stories matter to people. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I'm right agree. We're very bad at it. But again, we talk about this a lot and I don't wanna feel like we're beating a dead horse. We still have the culture against us. We have, still have all the media outlets against us. You know, again, we had Rush Limbaugh, we have talk radio, you know, we talk about Fox News, but, you know, Fox News might be number one in the ratings, you know, consistently, but not if you put together MSNBC, CNBC, CBS, NBC. And when you start to add that all together, we're over. All... So I, I'm not sure if I totally agree with what you're saying. I somewhat agree with what you're saying. I think there are things we can do better, but I also think we're, <laughs> we're up against it a lot, too, especially as we're being canceled.
2: Yeah, I I don't see how we win this politically, I I guess. I I just don't see how we win it politically uh, without understanding how and why the voters think and therefore vote. And I think we're so far away from understanding that. And I just, I'm just saying, I think this is a good example of, you know, the left is so good at mischaracterizing us. And, you know, we're not we, we yeah. don't that's not the same rules for both they're, sides that's the reality successful. of the situation
1: they're successful at all the things you're saying we shouldn't do right they call names constantly It's like racist bigot homosexual. yeah because
2: they've done because they did the job the work like i said of capturing the american mind they you know this is what I'm, they've they've ramped it up lately right because they know they can 15 20 years ago they wouldn't have been this insane about their, ver- they wouldn't have probably been this, what is the word? Um, unmuzzled and unabashed about their horrifying words, but they've done the work. They've gained the ownership of the American mind and they know it, it, It. I don't know. I, I think That's
1: part the of liberal, the liberalism Four years ago.
2: And,
3: and I remember they were not muzzled at all when it came to Rush Limbaugh. I mean, they said- huh. the- Things about so Rose. that's my
2: point. Rush Limbaugh, here's a good man who, you know, you could have been debating the content of what he was talking about, but they didn't even need to. They could just say this characterized him, say bad things, and not dumb people like me would be like, oh, oh yeah, no. And then just not listen.
1: Well remember Rush Rush would always talk about symbolism over substance, right? That was one of his big mantras all the time. The left left is all about emotionalism. So in a sense, I'm just
2: trying to say
1: we think a lot more liberally about things and logically about things, and and we leave out the emotional part of things too often.
2: To our peril. To our peril. Now we could we could be doing exactly what we do, which is talk about. The content, the importance of the content, like um, the 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 store owner with emotion, we we can actually use facts and uh, healthcare is my best subject. But for example, where you know people want access to affordable healthcare, and so instead of getting on the let insurance companies go across state lines and do all these pe- things where people are like. It doesn't register because it doesn't connect me emotionally with how does, why does that make me feel good? I don't know, I don't really understand it. So, but we could actually take those things and start talking to them, talking about them in a way that does that quickly, quickly, quickly. And that's where I highlight these words, beltway first. Those are really, it's a really quick way of attacking the left. Beltway first, you selfish people. It's that it has this, oh, you're so selfish feeling to it. Oh, yes, you're so selfish.
3: I agree. And that's, it's a form of name calling though, which you were saying you don't like. No,
2: I'm I'm saying, no, that's the content. That's the content of what they do, what their, whether, whether it's McConnell or whoever it is, that's the content of what they're doing is putting the beltway first. Name calling would have been McConnell, you, whatever. Trump did it. I can't remember what he called him. in a slew of personal name calling.
0: He took out of there, he was going to comment on his looks, but he took that out. Of course, th- his looks speak for themselves. We'll just leave it at that. And, you know, Jody, I think part of what I hear is self-contradictory because on the one hand, you're saying if we're nicer and more lovable fuzzballs, Maybe they'll listen to us, but the point is, Rush was a lovable fuzzball and they succeeded in painting him as so far right as warning. Remember the Russian, the dog food controversy? They had most of America convinced that Rush wants people to eat dog food because he made a joke about it. And they said he's serving his own mother dog food and all that stuff. So I don't think it would help. I'm talking
2: about going on, not being on D, I'm talking about going on offense. I'm talking about going on offense though with the words that um, click the light bulb on and feel, you know, grab the person emotionally without it being things like a character smear because those things aren't gonna get through it to the American people. They're I just not. I don't know if the
0: other ones will also, I agree. Saying lying Ted, I think is not a good strategy. Um, and some of the other names that Trump called people, I don't think is a good strategy. And I agree. If we had like pithy lines and and good bumper sticker lines, I think they do work. But you know how I feel. The press shuts out anything we say, and they twist any word that we use anyway. So Yeah. So what for is our side, and we're always for the bad side.
2: So that. So then, what is our? You know, I think that's Russia, what I say, is Russia. Okay. So even if we have a third party, what what do we do? Because.
0: Okay. First of of all, all, our messages
2: aren't working. And second of all, they won't let us through. And when we do get through, they mischaracterize us. So that's the reality of the world we live in. So what do we
3: do? I think Rush is an instructive example. He didn't care that they mischaracterized him. He just plowed forward. He didn't care. He didn't bother. to. I mean, he he rebutted them sometimes, but um, he just, he never appeased them. He never tried to make nice to them. He was Yeah, I
2: but we're, we're still at the same spot though where, where we we we're not winning.
3: Well, we're not I winning think, culturally. We're, we're
2: definitely not winning culturally. We're not winning through education. We're not going to win the political battle at with this.
3: Well, I mean this, I mean that that there's a lot of things there and we're not going to win them in, in 6 months or a year, but you know, COVID has given us I've this repeatedly on our on our shows in the past. COVID has given us a great opportunity to take back education. Teachers unions want to keep the schools closed. We should call their bluff, close the schools, defund the schools. They want to defund the police. Let's defund the schools. Where are the Republicans to say that we need to have an opposition that says that and let people homeschool their kids, let people set up their own little uh, you know, cooperatives, so to speak, you know, where you teach three or four or five kids a, at a time by one, one or two parents. There are ways that it can be done. Um, and that's, you know, if if, we, if somebody came up with that and started talking about that, Think about how much progress we could make culturally if we pulled our kids out of the schools. And you know, for all the talk of how, how much the isolation is hurting kids, and I think it is, and I see it with my own son, um, at the same time, keeping them away from the propaganda mills that these public schools are is, is a is a good thing. And I think it'll it'll have some benefit for us down the road. I think we need to, to capitalize on it. Uh, but you know, we're not gonna win the culture in six months or a year. But there are things that we can do and we just need to to fight for them and do the best that we can.
0: I'm gonna go back to what I think Ed was talking about way back when in the show, that this fight McConnell versus Trump is the fight. Who's gonna be running this Republican party? Assuming we don't have a third party, even though the polls are, yeah, we're all gonna support a third party, assume that's a bad idea, it's never gonna happen. If McConnell takes the party, it's gonna stay the typical rhino Republican party, the Liz Cheney party. If Trump gets his way, maybe we have a prayer. Now Graham, apparently Lindsey Graham has been running around saying we have no prayer without Trump. But Lindsey Graham, as somebody put it today, if you yell at him in an airport, he changes his mind. And you never know where he stands. But I think at least Trump with this letter is putting down the battle lines. Either we're going this way or we're going that way. And if we don't go Trump's way, The Republican Party will never be the opposition party. And it's a thousand percent right. We need a strong opposition party. We need a party of all Matt Gaetz's and Rand Paul's and uh, maybe Thomas Massey's and the few other ones that are really Jim Jordan. I'm sorry. See, I'll take any of those. Jordan is fantastic. People who literally are not afraid to speak up. If we had a party full of people like that, we would have a prayer. And McConnell is the one crushing that. And McConnell, I've said for many years, is the one we need to get rid of. Unfortunately, he's got too much power within the party. I don't know when we'll get rid of him. Is it unfair of me to say he should crawl back into his shell? Would that be alluding to things we don't want to allude to?
3: Please No, don't. I think it would be more fair to ask, you know, whether Elaine Chow has any ties to the Communist Party.
0: Oh, that was racist and xenophobic. Now you're gonna close the borders too?
3: Well, Elaine, just so the, the audience knows, Elaine Chow is, is McConnell's wife.
0: I know and she's McConnell's wife and she was transportation secretary and her father is in Chinese shipping business, I believe. And yeah, I think he's way, way too far in bed with the Chinese. Did You know, I didn't write it down on show notes, but did everybody catch Biden's reasoning for not being upset at the Chinese, what they're doing to the Uyghurs? And he basically said, well, that's kind of their culture, that they want to have a strong, unified China. And that's their culture. And... <laughs> Yeah, and Nazi Germany's culture was their culture and Stalin's culture was his culture. But that doesn't sound like a great excuse. I want uh-huh. We're getting towards the end of our hour. I want to go back to Texas for a minute just so I can get my pun in here. When I was listening to people freezing in Texas and they're not having power, I believe we're talking four days already. And it did literally send chills up my spine because I know we're all Atlas Shrugged fans here. And when you think about the society that Galt does not belong to literally falling apart, literally with blackouts. I think that's like a major theme in Atlas Shrugged is the lights are gonna go out and we're gonna come back. And that this is happening in Texas is one of the scariest things I think can ever happen. And I wrote, it's time to take that book and move it into the nonfiction section, which is a really scary thing. I also wanted to bring up, I was talking with somebody about this a couple of days ago how many of us remember the New York Times stories on your children will never see snow? Can you believe mm, it? I remember. It's so remember funny. That, right? It's about five, six, seven years ago. And that's it. This is the last of the snow. There won't be any more snow. And all of a sudden... they have to they find a, to a new foot. place
2: for the Winter Olympics.
0: Mm-hmm. And look at it with the whole country's frozen.
1: Yeah. I'll be breaking Governor... my shovel out again tomorrow. We're getting more snow.
3: Governor yeah. Abbott in Texas is wants to start an investigation, where where are the Texas people, where are the Texas Republicans saying maybe we need to get rid of Governor Abbott, whether it's impeachment or, or just he, he's got, he's, he needs to be, maybe the legislature needs to take over governing that state. Because a lot of these initiatives were things that, you know, a lot of these green initiatives that are in place are things that he not only signed, in, but he trumpeted. He trumpeted them. And I believe
0: he just got an award for it a few yeah. days before all of this happened.
3: And so, where's the accountability? I mean, we need to we need to be hold our own people accountable, just like we hold the other side accountable. Um, especially when our side advances the other side's agenda. I mean, the Green New Deal is not our agenda, and you know, for Greg Abbott to have taken any credit for that uh, is disgraceful. And he should be held to account for it. And you know I, he should not be, he should not be able to, to win a reelection. I, I mean, I think that they should at least be talking about impeaching the guy. The guy, that is just not a good job and he needs to be punished for it, not rewarded for it.
0: And I want to universalize that for a minute because I've spoken many times in the past, you know, a lot of us radicals at Liberty Block. And Daniel Horowitz on his podcast has been saying the same thing lately. The fights have to be done on the state levels. And one of the problems belonging to this big powerful federal society that we have is there's pretty much no one at a state level who doesn't want to go to Congress and ultimately be president. And so instead of looking at what's best for their state, there's always one eye on what will the national press say about me so that one day I can run for president and at least write a book saying I was in the running for president. And we believe the radicals at Liberty Block that if people were only looking to get to the top of the state, they would not have to go that way. And I think that's part of the Abbott disease. It's not enough for them to run a good state. They also want to be loved by the people on the uh, alphabet networks. So they do these things and they figure we're never going to run out of energy. I don't think Abbott in a million years thought this could happen in Texas. And I totally agree with you, Ed. I think he needs to be held to account. Yeah. And Texas brags, if I remember correctly, even when they were on our show a few weeks ago, they have their own power grid. They're yep. the only state that's not hooked up to the national grid. And it is literally really? an embarrassment for this to happen. Now, we also know, because we're pretty sophisticated and well-read audience, that investigations are exactly what governments always do to mm-hmm. avoid accountability.
1: Mm-hmm. True. I'll tell you, that that's interesting you bring that up because um, it harken back to when we were having a discussion um, about the two-state solution for America. That was one thing I brought up was the grid. <laughs> because how do you how do you separate all these states that are on the same power grid when leftists want windmills that freeze during a snowstorm?
2: <laughs> well, so now it was my understanding in reading it that that their windmills were only about twenty-four percent of their total energy output. So it wasn't just their windmills that failed, it was freezing but, but, of the coal and the gas as well.
1: It's all part of the same system. You know, I mean, look, in New Jersey, this I used to appear before the Senate Environmental Committee here all the time. I I refer to it as the worst committee in the entire state legislature here. I mean, every time you went, there was another bad piece of legislation. I mean, we had our own version of the Green New Deal here. They they have proposals for these mandates of, you know, uh, 80% wind and solar by 2050 and all that stuff. Totally pie in the sky stuff. But, you know, I mean, when, you, when you're relying more and more on solar and wind, it destabilizes the grid. And when you have to ramp up the power from all those backup sources, it doesn't work. You know, it's not that simple. I think that's the position they were probably in.
0: And besides that, Jody, if I took away a quarter of your power from your house today, would you be okay with that? That's a quarter. I love that excuse. It was only 25% of the system that failed. Well, hello. That's not good. <laughs>
2: No, I know. I'm just saying the other part failed, too.
0: And that's also, and that's what Ed is saying, that's inexcusable that any of it failed and that we played this game that we're, you know, abusing the earth by pulling out fossil fuels. This is the most energy abundant country in the history of the world. That we should be worried about conserving energy in any shape or form is absolutely outrageous, especially Texas.
2: You guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but is it true, and I think it is, So we went from its global warming to its climate change because of these inexplicable times, like all this snow outside my window, when the reality didn't fit the narrative, when the global warming thing didn't feel true, it stops feeling true, then you change it to climate change. And then you make it like, oh yeah, it's really complex. It gets colder in certain places with more snow when it warms. isn't that kind of how it went? Do you guys remember? Am I, yes, am I- when
0: it's cold, it's climate change. When it's hot, it's climate change. When it's summer, it's climate change. When it's winter, it's climate change. When it rains, it's climate change. When, it rains, it's, climate change. when it's dry, it's climate change. It really when my dog poops,
1: it's climate change. Um,
0: I know, Jody. you and I have studied science. I'm not sure about the lawyers here, but um, if you can't prove the null hypothesis, it's not science. And there's no way to prove climate change isn't true since it explains everything. So the fact that it's 20 degrees in Texas is climate change. So you're right. They, they will blame anything on that. I just call it when people say, oh, my God, there's going to be a horrible snowstorm. And I'm like, yeah, it's February. And in <laughs> August, they're like, you know, we're going to have 100 degrees. It's August. And I remember in the 70s in New York when we had, I think, 14 straight days over 90 degrees. Anybody who lived up here probably remembers those wonderful days. It's called summer. There's a reason it's called August, and yet we blame it on these things. So I have just say, it will be interesting if Texas gets away with this by saying, let's do a Blue Ribbon Commission, and then shoves it into a drawer. You know what I was thinking? They could probably get Comey and Mueller to investigate it and throw in oh. Bill Barr. <laughs>
3: They'll get to the bottom of it.
0: Anybody remember? They Durham.
3: used to... Durham might be able to get on the trail, Durham.
0: too. I saw on the box of cereal yesterday, where's Durham? Now, I want to mention on the good news side, I don't know if you guys saw this article, um, Republican California State Senator Melissa Melendez introduced a bill package Tuesday that would make political affiliation a protected class under California's anti-discrimination laws. Now, leaving aside do we want more laws, but if you have to serve everybody, then you should have to serve horrible so, people I mean like
2: it's At the surface, I love it. And I've been wondering, like, why is it that it's discriminatory against somebody's race and religion, but not their political? But at the same time, it is another government law. I don't really like that part. But I don't have another solution to the fact that just because somebody said something that someone doesn't like, they can fire them and do, or harass them or anything like that. I don't know. I liked it. I, I, I'm, in not against,
3: I'm not against government laws, you know, in a knee jerk sort of way. But my reaction is if that law gets passed, then we're going to have to keep we're not going to be able to fire someone who's a Nazi. We're not going to be able to file, fire someone who's a commie. Um, I'm not sure I like that law.
0: Well, some of us who are more libertarian believe you should be able to hire anybody you want. You should be able to serve anybody you want. But the point is, you don't have any of those choices nowadays. You have to let anybody into your store and they can pretty much wear whatever they want, et cetera, except for politically. What are we going to do if they do, um, you know, Facebook can probably see our cameras and Google can see our cameras and any of us who shed a tear today over Rush, we could all be canceled. So... (laughs) We do need something to fight back with because it's unbelievably scary. I mean, yeah. I'm sure even the four of us, there's many things we don't say even privately today. And we're the outspoken ones.
3: Yeah, I, I still haven't posted anything publicly about Rush just for that reason. I don't know that what record I wanna create. Um, but I'll also say that you know I just went through a 30 day ban on Facebook for, for unknown reasons and i've started reading again i've started doing other things and i'm i'm almost in a in a sort of in a weird way thankful for it because you know i think that i think that we need to get out of our echo chambers i think we need to i think social media is, is almost like for us it's almost like video games that i see on my son you know i get too caught up in it and you know it, i think it takes away from other things in life that that make life enjoyable and and good so
0: on the other hand ed a couple of years ago i never heard of you and i never heard of judy jody and i never heard of mike so yeah. when i look at part of me i was also in that band with you we were jailed around the same time yep but look at how it expanded our horizons to find people on facebook and that's the part well, of it doesn't want to walk away
3: right yeah, I mean, I'm on and gab and everything else it's like what i say to my son i don't want to take your video games away but maybe they've taken over your life a little too much. And I think that for me, social media probably has taken over my life a little more than I, than I had realized. And that was probably healthy for me. So half a step back, not a full step back, not, you know, not just abandoning the platform, but taking a step back is not such a bad thing for me. I mean, I do, I do value that I've met you guys through this medium. Um, I'm not, I don't mean to say I don't, but uh, I feel like I'd lost some of the other things that I used to do on a regular basis. And I'm I'm happy to be reading more books and- Like
0: eating and sleeping?
3: (laughs) No, I never gave those up.
1: (laughs) Listen, I agree with you, Ed. It's addicting and it easily um, can overtake your life if you let it.
2: Well, Uh, you know, uh, as a stay-at-home mom, I loved it because it was kind of like my outlet, my intellectual outlet. Um, I took myself off My political Facebook. I didn't get kicked off. Um, And and initially I really missed it, but I don't miss it anymore. And there's a part of me who, even if I sort of have the, oh, I want to go back because of the people that I miss, certain people that I never would have known, never would have met, loved having discussions. And they're the only reason I'd want to go back. And then I think to myself, "Mm, I'd rather like give the, you know what, to Mark Zuckerberg and never go back.
3: Well, let me say this, Jody. Having gone back and put my toe in the water a little bit, Facebook is a ghost town. Oh, good. A lot, of people, a lot of the people that you miss and that I've missed, they're not even there. I mean, the you know the conversations that happen. I mean, it's 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 barely above you know, Maywee or you know some of these other platforms that have been able to get really interested in by. Um, what happened? If, what Facebook did destroyed its its business a lot. I hope so. Um, I think so.
0: Okay, folks, we're going to start wrapping up and giving everybody a couple minutes to talk about what we didn't get to so that they don't say we didn't get to it and make any closing comments. Mike, what would you like to add?
1: Well, again, I just, you know, it's a sad and somber day in a lot of ways. Um, You know, Rush Limbaugh was a monumental figure and. You know, he became, in a, in a, in a way, uh, a real comfort to us, part of a way of life, really. And his presence is going to be sorely, sorely missed. So I, I think I'll just leave it there. Time around.
0: Does everybody else have that jingle playing in their head? Pretenders.
1: Yeah. The Pretenders, my city was gone. You know, uh, I, I think he had a make a little deal to keep that song because I think Chrissy Hind, like a lot of entertainers, musicians is left-wing, but I think her father listened to the program, if I understand the story right, and that's kind of how the deal was cut to allow him to continue to use that song. Cool. Don't quote me on it. I think that's the story. I know something like that. Jody?
2: Um. So I'm just gonna close with a funny joke that uh, Tucker said. About the Texas thing, I don't know if you guys read this or saw, watched him, but he said about Texas: running out of energy in Texas is like starving to death at the grocery store. You can only do it on purpose. <laughs> that was hilarious
0: and and sad
2: and sad at the same time. We have to me? Rip uh, to Rush. Well, I wish I would have listened to him more, but what'd you say? said RIP to Rush. I, you know, may he rest in peace. I wish I would have listened to him more, but I have a feeling I've heard a lot more of him than even I realized.
3: Well, I have to start just the way we started the show by paying my respects to Rush. Um, I think we did a good job of covering him today. Um, he's a larger than life figure. There's no replacing him. Um, and and there's, there's a hole in my heart. Where where he you know where he he used to be, um, I think we missed a whole bunch of stories or we didn't get to a whole bunch of stories in our hour today. Um, you know the the recall effort in California against Governor Newsom apparently has reached the number of the minimum number of signatures required to get on the ballot. Uh, I don't know if it's because all the conservatives in California have gotten together and signed it or if some of the leftists out there are a little tired of seeing their state. Fall into the ocean. I don't know. I think it's something to to watch during the rest of the year.
0: And excuse but, me one second. I will add, if I can interrupt you for a second. I know for a fact that a lot of the backing is coming from the far left, which shocks me. But I know for a fact.
3: Well, maybe you can get into that a little bit and explain that. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I, I can't agree or disagree. I, I think that's worth pursuing and, and knowing. Um, I think that the. I think that the fall from grace for Andrew Cuomo, likewise in New York, is an important story. I, what is it, you know, it, taking what you said as, as true about Newsom, I mean, does this mean the left is ready to go the next step and get somebody even further left? I don't know. Um, does it mean that the right is doing something to, to finally fight back? I, you know, I don't know. Um, I think it's these are stories that are worth watching um, I as I also started the show I think that the the militarization of DC and the use of, of walls and fences in DC uh, is certainly something that we need to keep watching um, and you know as Jefferson said you know the price of liberty is eternal vigilance and we've got to keep keep alert uh, the left is going to keep coming at us they are keep they are coming at us and um, you know I think that I think that Time is going to be can be on our side. I don't want to make predictions that we're going to win, but um, we, we need to we need to stand stand firm and and keep fighting. Um, that's what Rush would have wanted, and I think that's the right way to go. So I'll I'll toss that back to you, Steve. Okay.
0: Yeah, what I'm saying about CalExit, it's no secret. The CalExit meets every Sunday, and they actually post all their meetings on YouTube. So there's nothing secret about it. And I don't know that they officially endorse the effort, but they talk about quite often they're out there getting signatures, they're very proud of it. And it's hard for me to understand how you can be to the left of Newsom, but these people are far to the left of Newsom, and they're attacking it from that side. So do I know which percentage is from the left and from the right? I don't. But I have no question that the hard left the unfathomably hard left.
2: Can I make one last-
0: from the left. Sure, Jody, go ahead. One
2: last statement on that, bringing the California thing. You know, maybe what we're going to see is, you know, maybe the left overplays its hands so significantly. I can't believe that they haven't already in the minds of the American people. And maybe in the minds of the American people, it is that the, 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 the mind, the door is ajar a little bit. Um, so I think the left, overplaying their hands could be the reason why we succeed and it's going to be one of those things if and when that moment happens where the left so overplays its hands that people are looking that's when I'm just saying we need to be prepared to be that really good platform for them to jump ship and have um I don't know a good way of speaking to the the, the verbiage, the good, you know, the here's why free market healthcare is good for you and your neighbors. Here's why this is, you know, in, in the way that is gonna resonate.
0: So what I'm hearing Jody say, folks, is that EJS on the Liberty Block should move to a daily show from 12 to three Eastern Standard Time. <laughs> and go, go up against Will Cow on XM. Anyway, thank you all so much. This was a great show on a sad day. Um, Yes, rest in peace, Rush Limbaugh. We'll be back next Wednesday, four o'clock. And please, if you listen to this as a podcast, please dial in or zoom in and join us live. And we'll be up on iTunes, Rumble, SoundCloud, and who knows where else very, very soon. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful day.